comes up Driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day I gotta see I gotta look around I got diesel smoke rolling From two crumb stacks My address is 408-414 A big blue Mac Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have that white line fever to the day that I die I said hey is my life we are on the road with these drivers out there in the cab just riding along with them and i'm glad to be in this cab with these drivers out here on this road fred mooney is my new partner uh we're just riding along out here with you drivers out there we've still got daryl spicer and dennis mckay and we we thought we needed a new partner fred mooney's gonna ride along with us when uh daryl and and dennis are stuck in a rest area somewhere <laughs> probably drinking that good coffee yeah they're down there drinking that good coffee but they're still with us we just thought we needed a new partner right here at uh, lonesome road ministries fred's uh my neighbor up here and uh, we've been working together since 2002 in this ministry and fred's always been behind the scenes and we've got him up front now I'm just telling Gary I make a real good Indian, but a very poor chief. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Fred, we got some great uh, music on today's program from the Harper family. That is some good bluegrass music. Yeah, they're out of Bunker, Missouri. I've got an interesting story of how I met uh, this group here. Back when I was driving, I was hauling dynamite. I used to haul dynamite out to Bunker, Missouri. There was an old lead mine out there. 
and uh, this forklift, uh, not the forklift, the crane operator, I got to talking to him, and I got to witnessing to him, telling him about Jesus every time I went out there. And he'd just smile at me and <laughs> didn't have much to say, but he was always uh, very receptive. I'd give him a cassette tape. You know, we was doing cassette tapes back then. Every time I would go out there, I'd give him a cassette tape. And uh, next time I went out there, I'd ask him if he listened to it. And he said, oh, yeah, I listen. After a while, I asked him one time if he went to church anywhere. And I, I'd been witnessing to him for several, several trips out through there. And I asked him that question one day. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, I pastor this church right over here. <laughs> I said, you pastor a church? He said, yeah. He said, well, I said, well, why did you let me witness to you every time I come out here? He said, well, you needed to practice. <laughs> That's just a whole lot like preaching to the choir. <laughs> and he's right. I did need to practice, and I'm still practicing today. I believe we all need to practice. Yes, we do. And that was, a, that was pretty good. But Clay Harper was the guy's name, and he told me about his group. He gave me some of his cassette tapes of their music, the Harper family. And I've been using that in this ministry for several years, and we're going to feature the Harper family on today's program. The uh, Clay, I don't think, no longer travels with them, but Galen Harper is the guy that's uh, doing the Harper family music now, and his phone number is 573-247-4374, and I believe that they travel still around the country, and they would love to come to your church. So let's put one of them songs on, Fred. All right, let's listen to some good down-home bluegrass music. Here's the Harper family. Tell the gospel story. Yes, tell the 
right, I know you enjoyed that. I love good bluegrass music, and that's some good stuff there. Yes, it is. I like the harmonies of the instrument in bluegrass music. You've got your four voices just like in vocal, but they are on the instruments, and I, uh, I just love good bluegrass music. Amen, amen. And we've got... Uh, a great message today that kind of goes along with some of this bluegrass music that we're playing, and it's by David Gibbs. You know, the amazing amazing thing about uh, David Gibbs is he is just uh, so such a good storyteller, but I realize today he's a good teacher too, and there's some really good teaching in this for Christians, and especially just doing one good job. You know, that was Billy Graham's secret. He had one message, and that was salvation, and he did it very, very well. Amen on that. I love Billy Graham, and uh, he didn't stray away from his message, and that was salvation. And that's what uh, we try to keep this ministry all about is reaching the lost and helping the drivers out there on that old lonesome road. So let's get into David Gibbs' message, and it's called The Promise. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 1, Psalm 1. I think that Psalm 1 is probably, on most people's short list, one of the passages of Scripture that is often memorized. When you talk about Psalms, I imagine Psalm 23, Psalm 100, that would come Psalm 1. And for many, many years, Psalm 1 was referred to as our nation's psalm. And it was called that because it was George Washington's favorite psalm. He would always ask the preachers when they would preach to the troops during the revolutionary period, he would say, would you please preach from Psalm 1? At his inaugural, he requested preach from Psalm 1. And they would say, why is this your favorite psalm, General Washington? And he said, because the promise in it is what I claimed. In Psalm 1 is a promise of such magnitude. It's a promise of such scope and power that it's kind of unimaginable that any Christian would ever want to try to navigate life without this promise activated. It's a promise that no man could ever deliver on. Your pastor is an incredible gentleman. But if he made this promise, it would be laughable. If I made this promise, it would be ridiculous. Only God can fulfill the promise found in Psalm 1. Let me tell you what it is, and then we're going to read it. God says, if you will do three simple things, three simple things. He said, do these three things, and whatever you do will prosper. What a promise. Why would anybody want to live? Why would anybody want to chart life without that promise working? But he says, don't do these three things. And he says, you as a child of God will be super unstable. It'll take next to nothing to literally blow you away. That's Psalm 1. Now let's get ready to read it for ourselves. Psalm 1, starting at verse 1. 
Blessed is the man, here come the three things, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now get ready, here comes the promise. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And say out loud with me the next phrase, please. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Please note, God didn't say some of what he does will prosper. God says whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But get ready for verse 4, because here's the warning. The ungodly are not so. Now, underline the word ungodly in your Bible, because I want to make sure that you're not confused with how we use the word today. How we use the word ungodly today is not the way you find it used in Scripture. The word ungodly we use today, if something is so horrible, so bad, so depraved, so vile, and if we can't think of any other adverb to describe it, Brother Newman, we say, well, that, 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 that's just ungodly. That's not this word. The word un means not, godly means God's way. If something's not God's way, it's ungodly. How many of you have ever done something not God's way? Hold your hand up. That's ungodly. So God says, don't do it my way. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Now he says, do these three things and whatever you do will prosper. But he said, don't do them. Don't do it God's way. He said, you'll just, that's all it'll take to unsettle you. Uh, I grew up on farms and my family was in the cattle slaughtering business in Ohio. And we slaughtered between four and 7,000 head of cattle a week. And I grew up on feedlots where we raised an awful lot of cattle. And to feed all those cattle, we planted every year thousands of acres of corn. And during the harvest time, man, we'd be putting it in silos and bunkers and mills. Corn was going everywhere. Man, you'd get around some of those silos and those mills and that chaff off that corn dust would be everywhere. And you know what I discovered? It doesn't take a wind to stir it up. Man, the slightest little breeze and that chaff dust would come up. Man, you'd be putting a bandana over your face. It'd get up under your ball cap. It'd go down your back under your t-shirt. It takes next to nothing to stir the chaff. Now here's what God says. Do these three things and whatever you do will prosper. But he said, don't do them. That's all it'll take to rock your boat. That's all it'll take to unsettle you. Do you know what I'm finding across America? 
it takes next to nothing to disturb God's people. And God says, you'll be like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. No one wants to be like that. Have you ever said to yourself, I shouldn't let all this stuff bother me? How many of you all have ever said that? But the fact that it does bother us is that chaff. Now go back to verse one and let's make sure that we get this activated in our life. You may not have had this promise working last week, but you can sure have it today. Last week is gone. You know what I love about church? We come to be changed. Now I hope you've come with your cup up. Maybe if you're sitting here this morning, you say, well, Brother Gibbs, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm so perfect, I don't think I need church, okay? Well, if that's your story, pray for me, all right? How many of you are like me? You need God to do something in your heart and life. That's our cry. Now notice what he says, blessed is the man. Underscore the word blessed. It means right, it means happy, it means correct, it means blessable. Do you know what God wants to bless you? He wants to. We got this idea, oh, I just get God to bless me. Man, the Bible says he wants to bless you. How many of you here have kids? Hold your hands up, you have kids. How many of you love your kids more than you could ever say? You love them, yeah. How many of you want to kill them on occasion, right? Sure. Man, do you know what? There's moments those kids aren't blessable. There's moments you gotta say, young lady, no way, no how. Young man, you're dreaming if you think that's gonna fly around here. There's moments in spite of how much you love those kids, they're not acting where they're blessable. And you know what God says? I love you. But you gotta get blessable. And he says, here's the requirements. Now, please remember, what we're about to read has nothing to do with you being saved. Doing these three things will not take you to heaven. Only one thing takes you to heaven, and that is asking Jesus to be your Savior. Admitting you are a sinner. You know, one of the most wonderful things, God didn't exclude anybody. He said, all have sinned. I always like to ask folks, how many of you here have ever done something wrong? Hold your hand up, will you? Yeah. How many of you are thrilled everybody doesn't know everything you've done wrong? Sure. Man, I want to tell you, acknowledging we're a sinner, boy, that's an easy one. We've all done something wrong. And that sin has to be paid for. The wages of sin. Man, you go to work somewhere, you say, I want what's coming to me. You know, God says, your sin has something coming to you. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boy, if you've not done that, I beg you don't leave here this morning. Joining a church doesn't save you. Being good doesn't save you. The Bible says, not of works lest any man should boast. Only one thing can save you, and that is asking Jesus to be your savior. Now having done that, God wants to bless you. 
And he says, blessed is the man. And look at the first requirement that walketh not in the counsel of the, and he uses the word ungodly, the not God's way stuff. What counsel did you let in last week? Do you know what counsel is? That's what you let into your life and you learn to act on and react to. That's your counsel. And every person here is 100% in control of what counsel you let in. No counsel got in that you didn't let in. And what counsel did you let in? Now, we have some powerful counsel tools in America. Magazines, radio, newspapers, televisions, computers. And you know what? They all want to do the same thing. They want to counsel you. Do you know how you counsel a person? God has given you two access points. Two access points of counsel. One is your eyes. The other is your ears. Anybody who wants to counsel you says, hey, hey, look here, watch this, watch this. Hey, listen to this, listen to this. Put your eyes here, put your ears here, because that's how you get in. I promise you in this church service, I promise you, we're doing everything we can to capture your eyes and your ears, because that's how you get in. We want to give you counsel this morning. But all last week, the world out there said, hey, watch this. Hey, listen to this. And did you let the not God's way stuff in? Wow. Now, we don't use the word counsel too much anymore. But there's a trendy term we do use. It's the word coaching. That's gotten real fashionable. And you know what God says? Don't you let the not God's way stuff coach you. Don't you do it. Everybody understands the power and the value of a good coach. Everybody. And Pastor and I don't own a ball team, but I want you to pretend for a moment that we do. And preacher, our team's terrible. Everybody wants to play us because it's an automatic win. And we're sick of losing, right? So I got an idea. Here's what we should do. Let's get a new coach. But I got a better idea. Let's, instead of us getting a coach, let's let the opposition coach be our coach. Let's let the guy on the other side of the field dedicated to our destruction coach us too. You know what Brother Newman say? You out of your mind? You can't let the enemy coach you and hope to win. And you're right. You can't let the enemy coach you and hope to win. But we have gotten so comfortable with letting the not God's way stuff in. That we sit there and listen, we sit there and watch, we read, and then we come to church and we say, bless me, help me, be with me, I need you. And God says, I don't think you read it. 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. It was about a year ago in March, preacher, I was at a church all Sunday, going to start a trial Monday morning. And I went back to my room. I'm sitting on the edge of my bed in a motel, and I got that little wonder in my hand called the remote. Now, how many of you like the remote? How many of you like that? And how many of you old enough to remember when we didn't have remotes? How many of you remember that? Yeah. That's why most people had kids, so they had somebody to turn the channels for them up there. But I'm channel surfing through, and I want to see some ball scores. March Madness is on, and I just want to watch some ball scores. And pretty soon I'm watching what by anybody's standard is not God's way stuff. What next or are, nothing like that. But it was sure not God's way stuff. And I'm watching it. And suddenly, the Lord like spoke to my heart and said, why would you trade? Whatever you do will prosper for that. Why would you do that? Good question. Why would you? Why would you trade away the promise of God that's so incredible just to watch or listen to that? Now, if any of you'd have been there, I'd have never watched it. Preacher, if you'd have been there, I'd have, I'd have never. But you know what? Sometimes it's just us and God. And suddenly, we're letting in. God says, stop it. Don't you do it. Stop letting the not God's way, the ungodly counsel in. My granddad had the first TV that I ever saw. It was terrible. Um, the picture was full of white snow all the time. And, but it was so amazing because it was a picture. And all the neighbors would come over to watch it out in the country. And we'd sit there. And sometimes if the weather was bad, you couldn't see anything. And a guy on TV was talking. It was all live. They hadn't invented tape yet. And the guy on TV said, oh, what the heck? And my granddad said, did he say, oh, what the heck? I said, yeah. He said, close that thing up and put it in the barn. He said, there's nobody talking in this house like that. Nobody. You see, every church in 1950 preached, you don't swear. And you don't use substitute words to swear. You know what? Your TV don't say, oh, what the heck anymore. And we've gotten comfortable with not God's way stuff. Stop it. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Look at the second part of the command. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. 
Now, this one's real easy because the word the way here is the word we use. You ever see somebody do something, you say, look at the way those kids are acting. Look at the way that man, that woman's acting. God says, I don't want you to act the way that sinners act. Real simple. Well, Brother Gibbs, how do I know if I'm doing it the right way? Well, this morning I want to give you the easiest test I know. I've used this for a number of years in my life. It has helped me so much. It's the simplest test to use every day, multiple times a day. God, am I doing the Christian life the right way? How many of you want to do your life the right way? Hold your hand. All right, well, here's the test. The Bible says that when you got saved, you became an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter how old you are, how bright, how educated, doesn't matter. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Now, an ambassador only has one job in life. An ambassador's one job is to make the guy who chose him look good. That's his job. When America chooses an ambassador to go to a foreign land, they got one job, make America look good. That's your job. Do you know what our one job in life is? To make the Son of God look good. And if you want to know, am I doing it the right way? Well, here's the question. Did you make Jesus look good this morning? At work, did you make Jesus last week look good? Cleaning house, did you make Jesus look good? Fixing meals, did you make the Son of God look good? That's our one job in life. And the devil knows that. So the one thing the devil doesn't want is for you to make the Son of God look good. I got a call and they said, man, get to the airport. It was after this last terrorist alert. I was in San Diego. They said they're taking bags, they're seizing liquids, foams, gels, liquids, pills. My bags were full of this stuff. They said, get to the airport plenty early, it's a mess. And I did. I got to the airport four and a half hours ahead of my flight. When I got to the airport, unbelievable. They had shut down all the electronics and you had to get in line and the line for my airline was two. And the minute I saw the lines, I got upset. You say, why'd you get upset? Because they were there. How many of you do not like lines? Hold your hand up. I mean, they bug me. And by the way, since there's two, it doesn't matter which one I get in. It'll be the slow one, all right? You want to get in the better line, get in the one I'm not in, okay? Now, wait a minute. I only got one job in that line, just one job. You know what my one job in that line is? Is to make Jesus look good. That's my one job. But I forgot it. Do you know how long the line was? Take this auditorium from that wall to that wall. Four times. They were huge. It took two and a half hours to get to the counter. People around me are mad. They're swearing. Oh, were they swearing? And I did not swear. I did not. But I came real close to saying amen a couple times. I mean, I just like. Mm. Finally, I get up to the counter. 
And the lady says, Mr. Gibbs, your flight's in two hours. I said, yeah, ma'am. She said, I don't think you're going to make it. I said, what'd you say? She said, you should have come earlier. I said, lady, if brains was gasoline, you couldn't prime an ant's motorcycle. I said, why don't you tell us this while we're in these? She said, we well, don't need to get mad. I said, I'm not mad. You want to see mad, that's another whole level. <laughs> now, wait a minute. At that counter, I got one job in life. You know what my one job at that counter is? To make the Son of God look good. That's my one job. But I forgot it. She said, well... It's taking about four hours to get through security. And she said, you see that sign there? I said, yeah. She said, from there in through security is taking two hours and it's taking a little over two hours to get to it. She said, I just don't see how you're gonna make it. Boy, I called my office. I said, get me on another flight. They said, there's no flight for a week. I said, get me a rental car. They said, there's not a rental car on planet Earth. I said, find me a motel room. They said, we can't find one for a thousand miles. And have you ever said this? How did I get in this mess? How many, how many of y'all have ever said, how did I get in? Now, I got one job. My one job in life is to make Jesus look good. Man, I took the ticket and, man, I didn't know what to do. So I went and stood in the line. The line is so long, it goes back and forth inside over a man bridge into the parking lot at San Diego Airport, and I'm standing in the parking lot. Everybody's mad. I'm like, how did I mess up? I didn't know what to do. Suddenly, I hear my name called. Brother Gibbs, Brother Gibbs. And here comes a preacher. I don't know his name. I just know his face. But I am not in the mood to mess with a preacher. I'm just not. <laughs> How many of y'all understand that one, right? <laughs> this guy comes up to me, all bubbles. Oh, Brother Gibbs, well, good to see you. And I said, yeah, good to see you too. <laughs> he said, man, I heard you preach two weeks ago. I said, oh, great, great. Yeah, he said, you remember what you preached on? I said, no, I, I don't really remember. <laughs> he said, you preached on this is the day the Lord hath made and we will what, Brother Gibbs? I said, well, rejoice and be glad in it, right? <laughs> this guy's talking to me, Brother Newman, and I'm like, Lord, you know, beam me up, Scotty. Get me out of here. <laughs> this guy's nuts. Man, he's all happy. This is a mess. I'm not in the mood to mess with him. Now, wait a minute. In that line, I only got one job. Isn't it funny how quick we forget our one job in life? He said, you haven't figured it out. This is wonderful out here today, Brother Gibbs. I said, well, he said, no, it's wonderful. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't think you've put it together. I said, I didn't put what together? He said, all the people in these lines are upset. And they're all talking about, should we get on an airplane? Because if we do, we might die. 
And he said, it's the most wonderful opportunity to witness you've ever seen in your life. He said, it's like perfect. He said, watch this. He reached in his pocket. He got out a gospel track. Guy standing right here, the lines are going back and forth, tapped on his shoulder and he said, you know, gonna get on an airplane today and it'll probably be fine. But he said, it'd probably be a very good idea to know if that plane didn't take you safely, if you died on it, it'd be a really good idea to know where are you gonna spend eternity. That guy's eyes went like that. The guy never answered, his wife did. She said, will you tell him that? That's all we've been talking about for four hours. I told him it's insane for us to get on this plane. I don't think it's safe. And if we die, neither of us know if we're going to heaven or hell. That's what she said. My friend said, well, I think you're going to be fine. But whether you die today or a long time from today, I want to give you this. Because this can tell you how to know for sure you're going to heaven. The man never took it. The woman took it. Took it right out of his hand. Three people that way and four people that way said, have you got any more of those? He handed them out. He said, Brother Gibbs, because the lines recross, they'll be back in a little over an hour. He said, they'll have read the track 30 times. He said, they'll be so ready to get saved, it's painful. He said, isn't this wonderful? <laughs> I said, wow. He said, now we do have a problem out here. I said, what's the problem? He said, your face. I said, my face. He said, yeah, you look like everybody else. He said, remember why you're in this line. He said, now here's a bunch of tracks. Go get them. Wow. Before he and I got through security, between the two of us, we prayed with over 40 people. You know what the tragedy is? We have forgotten what our one job in life is. When you leave here today, you got one job, and that's to make Jesus look good. Mom, I wonder if the kids would say, man, does mom make Jesus look good? Boy, does grandma make Jesus look good. Boy, does dad make the son of God look good. That's our one job. God says, stop letting the wrong people counsel you. Stop it. And then he says, don't walk in the way of sinners. Remember your one job. Make the Lord look good. Look at the final and last thing. The last requirement. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Do you know what a scorning person is? It's a griper. It's a complainer. It's an unhappy camper. Do you know it's a sin to gripe? 
it's the one sin in fundamental Bible-believing churches we don't think is a sin anymore. And God forbids griping, forbids it. Six times in the New Testament, neither murmur ye. Man, you, you, you read the book of Jude. He's talking about the people. He said, these are complainers. God says, stop it. In the Old Testament, God killed more of the children of Israel for griping than all other sins combined. He killed them. If God killed Christians for griping today, we'd have a hard time holding church. And we'd have a whole lot of funerals to do if we just had some preachers alive to do them, right? I mean... <laughs> It's a sin. It's a sin. Stop it. Well, Brother Gibbs, I, I, this is good, man. There's this lady here. She's a walking gripe. And that guy, he's a, but I, I gripe something. No, no, God says don't gripe at all. Stop it. Now, I have not counted them. I've not counted them. But very learned men have. Every time you gripe, you commit over 130 sins. Every time. Now, some preacher, sure, in everything give thanks. Well, there went that one. Rejoice, there went that one. Again, I say rejoice, there went that one. Walk in the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering. Oh, there went all of those. Over 130 sins every time you gripe. That's why the devil sits there and says, oh yeah, and you think God's gonna bless you. You've been griping. Stop it. Stop it. What would it take this morning for you to say, I'm done griping? I'm done. Not gonna gripe about big things, not gonna gripe about little things. I'm commanded to rejoice. And you can't rejoice and gripe. I checked in a motel. It was late, about 2.30 in the morning. I'd had a long day. I'd driven a long distance. I had to start a trial the next morning. I told the girl at the desk, I said, I got to be down at the courthouse at 7. I need a 5 o'clock wake up. She said, I'll put it in. It was a nice motel, pretty new. Went up to my room. And something happened in that room that has never happened to me before. I turned on the faucet and there was no running water. No water in the shower, none in the sink, none in the commode, no water. I called down to the front desk and I said to the girl, I don't have any running water. What she said back ticked me off. How many of you understand the word ticked off, right? <laughs> I said, I don't have any running water. You know what she said? I know. Now, I don't know what she should have said, but that wasn't it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you know? She said, I can't explain it. It's the only room in the whole place with no running water. <laughs> and it wasn't going to be your room. It was another guy's room, but he was so mad about no water, we gave him your room and you this room. Because you were so late in coming, we didn't think you were going to come. I said, lady, you owe your mother an apology for the day you were born. 
I said, to call you stupid would be to defame the word. <laughs> I griped, big time. Don't you all look at me like that. <laughs> How many of you have ever griped big time? Hold your hand, uh, yeah, sure. Finally, I thought maybe, she, I said, you still there? She said, yeah, I'm still. I said, you got anything to say? She said, well, since you asked, I got one thing to say. I said, what? I want to hear it. She said, I go to a Bible college where you come preach every year. She said, when you preached at my home church, you signed my Bible. She said, I get your newsletter and I send you $5 a month to help with the cases. That's all I got to say. I said, hey, you knew I was funning, right? I didn't mean any of that. I mean, I was just, I could have died, died. Whoa. I went down, you know what I told her? I said, young lady, what I did to you, I'd never want someone to do to my wife. I'd never want somebody to do to my daughter. I said, what I did to you broke the heart of God. Every time you gripe, you break the heart of God. She said, oh, Brother Gibbs, it was my, I said, no, no, it's got nothing to do with you, nothing. It's got everything to do with me. You are never justified, never. That's why God didn't say, don't gripe unless you're justified. He said, don't gripe. Get out of the seat of the scornful. Get out of it. About a year later, I was in her home church. I came walking in, the preacher met me, we're talking. He said, you know, a girl in our church worked at a motel where you stayed. I said, oh, how about that? <laughs> you know how it is, preacher. I'm tiptoeing around a little bit. and Oh, yeah. I said, she say anything? He said, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, really, what'd she say? Well, just what an honor, what a privilege. What a thrill it was for her to help you. I said, that's all she said? He said, yeah. I said, preacher, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what I did to her. And I told him the story. I said, she didn't tell you any of that? He said, Brother Gibbs, she's too good a Christian to ever complain about you. She's an orphan doesn't know her birthday, has no idea where, who her mom and dad are, let alone where they are. All she has is the Lord, and she never complains. She didn't say one word against you. You know what I said, Lord? I want to be like her. I want to be like that. What would it take for you to stop griping? Ladies, please listen. 
Women do not gripe more than men. They don't, but they're better at it. <laughs> they are. And let me tell you why. You have these beautiful countenances, your faces, and they talk. And a woman can talk with her face and never say a word. How many of you men know a lady can put a look on her face? You can see it 900 yards in the dark. How many of you men know that's true? How many of you say, I'd raise my hand, but she'll put that look on her face and I don't want to live with it all day. Oh, listen, listen. If I asked your kids, does mom ever gripe? Would the kids say, of course not, that's a sin. Mom wouldn't do that. Does dad gripe? Do you understand? God had just assumed this afternoon you went out and bought a six pack of Budweiser. Drank it all, got fallen down drunk as he would for you to gripe. Now don't you leave here and say, I think he said we can drink Budweiser. <laughs> I didn't say that. To drink the Budweiser would be an egregious sin, but it's as big or bigger of a sin to gripe. I'm in California, it's raining. I'm at an airport, a van from the motel's gonna pick me up. Guy says, run outside, you're gonna get wet, but there's a place you can get under cover there a little bit. We'll be right over. I ran out, and boy, there was a cover there outside, but the wind was blowing so hard, the rain was coming under it. I'm getting soaked, 45 minutes, no van. I run back inside, hey guys, where are you? Oh man, we forgot, we'll be right over. Run back out. Now I'm so wet, my shoes, my feet are sloshing in my shoes. My tie is soaked. I stand out there another 45 minutes, no van. Run back in, where are you guys at? All oh, the girls having trouble finding you, go back out there. I went back out, 45 more minutes. The girl pulls the van up, pops out, looks at me, and she said, man, you look wet. <laughs> now, I'm talking to myself. I'm saying, be good, be nice, be Christian. How many of you all ever talk like that, right? I'm, I'm trying to. I put my bags in the back. I climb in the back of the van. She's up front driving. And she turns around and she says, how's your day going? I thought, no. Lord, she asked. I ought to be able to give comment. I said, well, before I tell you how my day's going, I got a question. She said, what's that? I said, you don't go to Bible college anywhere, do you? <laughs>
Jesus is coming, well you better get ready if you want to make heaven your home. That was another song by the Harpers, and what a great group they are. And you know, David Gibbs talked about in that message uh, at what was it at the airport? Yeah, that- he was at the airport about how how much he enjoyed standing in that line. <laughs> but then that guy come up to him all excited with that uh, lips touching both ears, as Tony Mack used to call it. Yep. And he got David Gibbs out there doing what David Gibbs is supposed to be doing, and that's being a witness. And they handing out gospel tracts, and they ended up uh, praying with over 40 people, he said. That was definitely a case of making lemonade out of your lemons, for sure. Uh, I I just just love what he said. We have one job as Christians, and that's to make Jesus look good in all we do. Amen. Amen. That that doesn't matter where we're at. And I know when I was uh, over the road driver, traffic jams used to be my uh, mm, downfall. <laughs> <laughs> I remember before I got saved, I'd get in one of those traffic jams, man. I'd I'd sit there and beat on my steering wheel and and throwing them words out there out the window that I shouldn't have been throwing. But after I got saved, man, I tell you. What a what a difference it made having Jesus Christ in my life. You know what I did when I got in the traffic jam out there after I got saved, Fred? Put another CD in. <laughs> <laughs> I'd reach over and pick up my Bible. Oh, it was never yeah. it was never out of reach. And I'd open that Bible up and I said, God, what would you like to tell me right now? When God wants to get our attention, sometimes he will put us in a place where we can talk to him, and I would always talk to the Lord, pray, and and pick up my Bible and read a scripture or something, and I, God always had a message and always had something to tell me every time when we got into a place like that. Well, that's the way you grow, with trials and temptations. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what God will say to you if you will just listen. You know, David Gibbs had one saying here I thought was really neat. Did you come with your cup up? (laughs) Is your cup up or is it down? Amen. Amen. 
Well, speaking of that, if there's some people out there that their cup is down right now, we want to pray with you. And we don't like to close any program without asking you, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If you've never prayed and asked Jesus Christ in your heart, today is the day of your salvation. All you have to do is pray a simple little prayer, and it can be as simple as, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I surrender my heart totally to you this day, and I will serve you from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you pray that and ask Christ into your heart today, then we want you to give us a call. Our phone number is 618-383-2107. Call today. And like Gary said, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, the main thing is what's in your heart. And Jesus looks at your heart. Give us a call back today. We love to hear from you truckers. All right, friends, we got time for one more song by the Harpers. Hey drivers, we appreciate you letting us ride along with you 
in the cab. And you can contact us at 618-383-2107 or you can log on to our website at lonesomeroad.org and check us out on the web. You can listen to all of our radio programs on our website on our broadcast from the past page. So check it out. And if you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, then give us a call and let us know. Broken hearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Those 18 wheels are rolling down that old lonesome road And I shared the good news Wherever I go Yes, there's been a change I'm not the man I used to be And I tell everybody What's happened to me How I felt so ashamed When I thought of my past but I called his name This chance Could it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree And I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus Foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I'd been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree